Welcome to the Male Fertility Podcast, a podcast designed to help, support and educate men as they go through their own fertility struggles. I'm Kieran. And I'm Sean. And we'll do that by sharing our stories of what we went through, as well as having guests share their knowledge and experience. Right, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to episode nine. Here we are, the penultimate episode of the series. Uh, it's, it's It's been emotional. It really has, um, but I can't believe we're here. Um, and today we're going to be talking about parenting, fatherhood, uh, kind of going right from pregnancy all the way through to our current experiences. And um, we kind of we've left it to towards the end because it's almost that natural progression of like we've gone from the beginning, obviously our stories, episode one and two, right through to kind of uh, chunking it down to the like sperm tests and stuff and it's that it's a natural progression that now we are going to give our thoughts and feelings on on fatherhood and 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 what that is like after a, a fertility struggles because that's our story that's where we are and and um yeah I, I really feel that uh we have a lot to to offer on this subject like you know the other bits as well because it's quite a unique situation we find ourselves in isn't it yeah, yeah, definitely, man. It's uh, when we were like starting to think about this episode, um, I realised that I did a lot of my my main processing during this stage, um, because everything that I had wished for and wanted was becoming a reality, but I couldn't totally trust it mm. at that point. You know, I had to have the baby or Sebi in my hands before it kind of really sit in as well this is this has happened um and, and you'll know this mate the, the the anxieties uh fears and everything else almost go through the roof when you've been through so much and uh you know you're looking at the potential of there's actually a baby on the way you yeah know? and we're, we're going to get into that all that discussion um but it's an, i think it's going to be a really interesting one uh, yeah like i said a lot of self-growth happened uh, during this phase yeah yeah I couldn't agree more I am um, I, everything you just said I feel it I felt it and um but yeah it's it, especially during the pregnancy but yeah let's let's um we'll come on to that let's it, where, where would we be who would we be if we didn't ask each other how we were oh yeah man we better do that bit um I'm good buddy I'm really good uh just before we came on air I said you know I'm quite tired tonight because it's been a busy day Mm. Um, and part of it is as well I'm on half term so I've stopped I've stuck a holiday uh, and when you're a teacher and you stop you seem to get more tired Mm. I've heard that before you get ill you you stop for a rest and you get ill yeah yeah you stop I mean it was it's really common for me like especially that first week of the summer holidays uh to just be smashed by something but um yeah I'm just a bit tired Oh, no, yeah. nothing, nothing a few sleeps won't sort out. How about you, buddy? How are you? Same, mate. All good. Always tired. Standard. That's um, you know, one of the things of, <laughs> of parenthood. Which one thing we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, all good. Like we, we um, we we guested on another podcast this morning, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Really so that was that. twelve hours ago, which <laughs> seems <laughs> mental saying it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a long day, but a, a good day, and um. And it feels quite surreal, actually, to be whittling down this series now to the point where 
it's the second to last and it's weird you know like we talked about it on probably the intro episode I think where we were like how it all came about and how long it took to come about pretty much 10 months was it eight months maybe between February February and October last year and and suddenly we've not only started and done it and made that and like that initial leap and and jumped that first hurdle but now we're coming to the end of the first series which is crazy we're already planning series two mate like, that's, yeah. that's how crazy it is isn't it well mate series three we've had chats about we put <laughs> yeah yeah that and that's that's the key message to anyone you know who, who thinks oh hopefully they'll be back well we're here for the long haul yeah we, we have got series two completely planned and uh, series three is in discussions yeah it's like i'm just gonna echo what you said mate it's just it's gone so quick uh but we're not quite finished yet for this series we've got this discussion yeah next one where uh we're gonna bring the wives in so who knows what's gonna happen there mate yeah it's a big one <laughs> it's uh yeah we have a we set out from the outset didn't we saying we wanted something big for the the last episode and um who, you know who better and who bigger to get than than the wives but that will come and okay. uh before that let's get into today's episode i guess yeah man i mean i suppose because we've talked about um uh transfers and things like that previously so i think a natural place to start would be kind of that if we're looking at pregnancy and developing into fatherhood is that two-week wait that everyone mm. talks about because i don't know about you but i if you scroll through instagram and other social medias you hear a lot of women talking about it but there's not many men on there talking about the two-week wait however i found it affected me just as much as it affected jen mm. in terms of all those anxieties were still there all those fears and that feeling of almost helplessness where there's nothing I could do. Everything's been done and you've just got to sit on the fence and wait to see what happens in those two weeks or at the end. Yeah. While, you know, I, I've talked to Jen about it and been really open with her while trying to manage her emotions because they were on hyperdrive, you know, really high. Um, because everything that she's wanted and I've wanted, but she's wanted to carry this baby all depends on this, these two weeks, the first stage of it anyway, you know, so much put onto it. Um, so yeah, there's not a lot of guys that talk about it. So I think it's important that we highlight it and actually say to guys listening out there, you know, when it comes, if you're in it, if you're going to experience it, when you experience it, it's okay to feel anxious. Uh, it's a completely normal thing it's um it's a really tricky two weeks uh mm. but you have to kind of stay focused on what you want the outcome to be um, yeah. and take control of it that way um rather than let it kind of spin out of control yeah 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 yeah, yeah you're right um i mean ours was during the first lockdown so like you know the the real proper lockdown where everyone was adhering to the rules to to a certain degree um there's no, no point in getting political about it but about maybe not everyone was but uh we were you know and and we had 
the fear because it was um, end of June in 2020 and, and it was, you know, it was the first one. It was all-consuming COVID, or the news about it. And, and we went. I remember the, the transfer day. We went up to the clinic. We had that and a beautiful sunny day. Like, mm. um, and, and we we got there early, like to you know, because you don't want to be leaving anything to chance, like traffic or whatever. Not that there should be much during lockdown anyway. But we um, we got there. And we just kind of sat under a tree for a while, just chilled out, and, and I wasn't allowed in for it, which is madness. And you know, I could get really quite upset about that if I wanted to, but I never let myself to because I took a pragmatic approach that I was like. No, the importance of of this is bigger than me being there at this at this stage, because mm. um, I could have allowed myself my my thoughts to really take over them. Well, like especially because it's donor conception, it takes that little ex- extra element of, oh well, you know, oh I'm not even in there for the conception of my children. Well, you know, are they donor? Are they are all this nonsense? Are they mine? Of course yeah, they yeah. are, and and I was well over that by that point, and I was just like, nope, it's more important that Jenna goes in and and it's not about me at this stage. It's about getting her in there safely on time and the embryos, because we had two transferred, making a nice, good environment for them. And just being, we were like, try to be as zen as possible, no stress. And she went in, came out, kept on her, like the, the, the slipper things that they made you, make you put on, like the surgical <laughs> slipper things, kept yeah. on a mask and all that and came out with the scans with the embryos implanted and um yeah it was it's i don't have many overriding memories from that period and you think that with it being locked down and there being nothing to do that it might have gone slower but i don't feel like it did even in hindsight i feel that we we literally took i know it's a cliche but we took every day as it came and we had always had our allotted uh, like our walk outside, and I, I, I remember one walk, and we, and we were just saying, like, just think this could be, like, this time now could be life changing for us, and mm. we just tried to stay positive, and knowing that everything we had done that we could do in our control, we had done. We had no yeah. regrets. We, we we put it all out there, and I remember, like, when we <laughs> when we had um home delivery shopping come we were like sanitizing air and wiping every single thing <laughs> we weren't taking any chances with that those embryos and but also i i remember and you know this divides opinion um quite simply i don't care but i was doing a lot of visualization so i was getting up early in the mornings doing a bit of yoga and then i would lie on the floor and just try and clear my mind and i was i actually researched like kind of what the embryos would look like, what and, and, and what would be happening. So I, I read into that, and it was saying like where they get implanted, what happens after day one, two, three, and so on. So every day I would really strongly try and envision those embryos implanting mm. and growing and, and having this vision in my mind of what that would look like on, on, like I said, day three, four, five, and so on. And every day I'd be like, right, I'm going to, really strongly envision what that looks like today because I was just so desperately wanted it and mm. of course it would be like very romantic and probably inaccurate to say that's what did it that's what made it work but you know you you do everything you can 
you, yeah. uh, and for us, it was all about positivity, not letting any doubts creep in, not trying to second guess any symptoms. We were both really good on that. Right, we were we were both made an agreement. <laughs> Whether Jenna did it secretly, I don't know, but I, I know I certainly didn't. But we never, um, we never googled any like any slight feeling because that you know it's a hyper intense situation and and any little twinges here and there can have people often reaching for the phone again is that a pregnancy sign and also one thing that we were again were really both uh in in strong agreement with is that we would not be doing an early test because unfortunately some people do and and the uh trigger shot that the lady has to take before the transfer which is like the kind of final oomph they tell you exactly when you have to take it when you're going for the transfer that one, uh, the hormones in that can mimic a pregnancy. The, the, the hormones in that are similar to what evokes a um, a positive test on the Wii, the old uh, stick. And actually, yeah. that was a massive learning point for me. <laughs> I always thought that they literally just pissed on it. But no, apparently it's more normal to piss in a cup and then dip the thing in. <laughs> it's like man's perspective isn't it yeah, yeah. you know we, we've probably got a little bit it. yeah no i just thought that's what they do just just go for a slash hold it under but no it turns out you pee in a cup and, yeah. and then dip it in and but yeah no i just um i remember just being really positive really focused and and a lot of distraction with uh like netflix and stuff like that i think it's probably yeah. the era of tiger king oh yeah <laughs> Do you remember Tiger King? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I well, I think I remember really like clearly because obviously we had quite a few transfers, <clears throat> and that first transfer that we had, it was um, we were very really positive, like really kind of nothing. This wasn't going to go wrong, you know. Nothing can go wrong. It's going to be fine. Um, and then I just remember the absolute kick in the teeth when there was it didn't take, and um, after that, each one, I, they got more tense those two week waits, um, and Jen's kind of hypersensitivity, you know, increased as well. So once we got to like, you know, the third cycle, it was um, anything. Any little thing, she was, uh, you know, she'd say it herself, she Googled things, she looked them up. She was, we were so desperate to have a child that we were terrified that it wasn't going to work because her previous experiences has taught us it, it hasn't. Um, but I think that's kind of something that occurs as you go along. But yeah. it is so important to keep that, that positivity, like you've just said. Um, if it doesn't work that first time, it doesn't mean it's not going to work. It hasn't mm. worked that time. You have to kind of process what's happened, press that reset button, however long that takes you. Because I, mean, I remember having the discussion with the consultant saying that we should take six months in between uh, cycles. And we ended up taking like a year off between mm. cycle three and cycle uh, two for Seb, uh, uh, two and three for Seb, because... I just couldn't do it, you know. Yeah. There is there isn't any kind of specific uh, time spell, but just let yourself process what's going on. 
Um, but I think, I mean, what you've just described, that positivity, it sounds like it definitely helped you cope. You yeah. Um, obviously, you yeah. haven't got another scenario to compare it to, but... No, it, well, definitely... you know, that's, that, that's a really good insight that you can bring. And, you know, I, I am very fortunate that for us, it, it worked on our first transfer. Mm. As I mentioned in episode one, it took us a long time to get there. Yeah. It was actually the third time of going through the the drugs and all that. But yeah, I you know, to to pick yourself up and go again when you've had that that gut wrenching result because you you do, like everyone puts so much hope in the transfers. And actually statistically the amount of transfers that have that that take on the first go that leads to a pregnancy is, is quite minimal. It's really low, yeah. yeah. It's really, really low. Um but the you know, I think the the statistics, the further down the rabbit hole you go in terms of the more cycles you have, um, to a certain point the statistics do climb because obviously like the clinics are getting to know how your partner's body is reacting to these drugs and they're also doing further investigations while they're going along or they should be. So it's kind of almost like a uh, it's just a big puzzle, isn't it? Trying to figure out. And some people are just lucky. They fall on that first one, uh, like yourself. Uh, and others, it takes a bit longer. Um, but it's just the important thing is not giving up and keeping that positivity because I know it's really hard. I mean, I talked during my episode, episode two, uh, about finding out um, around Christmas. We all had to go and be happy families. You know, oh, this is, it's a gut-wrenching feeling. Gut-wrenching feeling. But I wouldn't change it now because of what I've got, you know? Yeah. You can't see that at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, if I, I the way I feel about stuff is if we had done something earlier or delayed and gone later, it wouldn't be my kids now. Mm-hmm. Everything, every failure, every, like, delay or every success that we had that might have fast-tracked us along a few months but everything was leading us to them mm. because the the chances of of any pregnancy whether it's people that have gone through fertility issues or not are so astronomical like the odds are crazy and yeah so when you take everything into account and and you know we are in a fortunate position and we we never forget that and that, that that's quite uh, important for us to say is that we're not just sitting here going oh you know oh you know we, we've done it we're on the other side we we know how flipping lucky we are and we and we yeah. count our blessings which we will talk about i'm sure for later on in this episode but you know we are we we do appreciate how fucking hard it is picking yourself up and going again and, yeah. and you know like you said when you've had failed transfers it's i can't even imagine like yeah. how hard it is to to just go are we, are we going again right when and because you you're putting you're making yourself vulnerable again to to that happening yeah i i think my my bit of advice to anyone that you know has had a that failed or a failed um transfer is now more than any time it's important to talk to your partner uh because I could be an example. Jen wanted to go again straight away where I could see the effects 
when it had had on me, but also the effects it had had on her and her body physically. So it was me that put the brakes on. I was like, no, we need to, you know, take some time. And that was after, even after our first cycle. Um, and after our second cycle, we kind of, because we'd been through that in the first bit, we were on a bit more mutual agreement um, and uh, kind of came to a natural understanding that for me, we needed to take a longer break. You know? But mm. it, it's really important that talk if it doesn't go right, talk about where you both are, come up with a plan, um, a processing plan. That's what I'd call it. Because until you've processed it, you can't make a decision on what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so that would be my my advice for any failed cycles out there. I think but, it's, it's really good advice, mate. It's good advice for for any you know any stage of fertility treatment, but crucially after those really hard adverse results that's when it becomes vital yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and it's we're only saying this because well i'm saying it i can't speak for you mate because you know it's your your words but for me i we i learned the hard way we didn't always talk uh, and so it's important that you know you do talk especially during those difficult times but i distinctly remember when um during that two-week wait for Sebi, um, we were due to go on holiday the day that um, the, the test was due. And I remember thinking, this is either going to fuck everything up or it's going to be the best holiday we've had. And we were lucky, like, it came back and it was uh, a positive pregnancy. And we went on that holiday and it was the last holiday that we had uh, together was just me and Jen. Uh, mm. We went we went to Rhodes in Greece. It was a delayed honeymoon. We'd waited to ages because obviously all our money had gone into fertility treatment and stresses around that. And we kind of made the decision of, uh, well, we're going to find out on this day. Mm. So it doesn't matter because we've got no money left. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we can go on holiday. Um uh, and it was it was wonderful, but then we had those. I I remember having a real anxiety about getting on the plane, thinking, mm, "Is is this gonna? I bet I'll be the same. Is this gonna you know do something to the embryo? Is this? Yeah. Uh, and Jen reassured me. She was like, "No, it'll be all right." It was Jen that took the the level yeah. head then. Um, it's it's a, it's a weird um situation to be in knowing you're two weeks pregnant, isn't it? Mm. Because people who might be trying naturally or or not trying but end up pregnant sometimes they don't know till quite a lot later on and it's a really weird thing with fertility treatment because everything is so planned so scheduled yeah and knowing when exactly you can take your test and then have having hopefully a positive it's odd because you know a lot of people don't tell until the 12 week scan and stuff and and we have been quite open with with people because I had opened up for the first time as we were going on that round where it became the, the, the positive pregnancy test that for what was for us the third time around, but the first transfer, yeah, that was when I first opened up to my mates. So suddenly yeah. everyone's asking because no one knew before, no one knew we were going through it or some people might know we were going through fertility, but not necessarily there was why like male mm. factor and, but suddenly everyone was being caring and asking. And we, we told everyone, we said, oh, we're having the transfer then. 
and, and we then when it was positive we told everyone told everyone our family and in hindsight you know it's, that, that's a really kind of risky strategy because yeah it's so early uh, but it's weird because everyone knew that we were having it mm. um and, and you know fortunately for us it, it was okay but it's really odd because then you then get as you move into the, the first trimester all of this like focus on the 12 week scan but then obviously you have well, when you're under fertility um care you go quite early on for a blood test don't you to reaffirm the results well we we had a um jen had a scan at seven weeks yeah, yeah viability scan they call yeah. that yeah and then yeah she had blood tests and stuff like mm. that it, um but it's just like uh, I don't know how to put it. Like for me, it was just like a ramp up in the anxiety. You know, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I am with you on that. <laughs> it was. It wasn't the fact of. Oh yeah, it's um, it's worked. Like this mm. is this is it. Um, it was the first one, but obviously it nothing came of it. But then when when we had our miscarriages or miscarriage. Mm. Once again, our previous experience of that first trimester had loaded what we were, how we were thinking, and what we were experiencing, and that that successful pregnancy that we had with Seb was full of anxiety because of what we previously learned. Yeah, know? and that that first trimester is really is really nervy. It mm-hmm. is. Um, there's so many things that could possibly go wrong. Um, yeah. If if the embryo is gonna, you know, die and you know not be able to survive, it's the likelihood is it's gonna happen uh, in that first trimester. So yeah, it, that that build up to that twelve week scan uh, was terrifying. <laughs> oh, oh, I actually um, it was it went for the whole term, the whole pregnancy for me mm. was terrifying. I never really relaxed. Because you get all these milestones and everyone knows of the 12 week one. And it's mm. like the big one. You get to that. Uh, and obviously, like, like we mentioned, you get that scan on kind of six, seven weeks when you're in fertility, um, when you have fertility treatment. And that's when we found out we were having twins because there was, there was two little jelly beans there, like literally yeah. the size of jelly beans with heart rates of like 160 um, beats per minute, which, which was pretty much my heart rate throughout the whole <laughs> nine months of pregnancy. Um, but, uh, yeah, that 12 week one, that was like the first hurdle, Yeah, but I wasn't allowed into that one because of COVID. So then we paid privately and did we have a 12 week privately? Possibly that I went into, I can't remember that, but I remember going in for a 16 week one privately. Hmm. And then you got this whole thing of the 20 week one being hmm. a big one. Uh, and that, that one, um, I think is where they can tell the sex. And yeah, I think so. I think I'm not yeah, going to say definitely, but I'm pretty sure it is because I remember this is probably the first and probably last argument I ever won with my missus. <laughs> um, but she wanted to know the sex from the mm. outset. She's like a planner. She's a proper like you know nester and all this. Mm. Wanted to know the sexes so that we could start buying clothes, sex appropriate, pe- decorating the nursery and all this. And I said, look. Literally, like we every part of our journey 
boom. There we go. 27 minutes. And we hadn't used that word, but there we go. That's, that's got to be a record. That's a record, mate. But um, every part of this journey up to now has um, has been so planned. You come for a scan on this day. You come for an operation on this day. Your results are this day. You do a follow-up test this day. You go for a blood this day. You're going to take your stimulation drugs on this time at this moment in this two-hour window or whatever. Your other drugs this much on this day. It's all so planned and so scheduled. I was like, why don't we leave one thing as a surprise? And and not only one thing, but life's biggest surprise yeah. of not knowing yeah. until you get there. And thankfully, that argument, that is that's pretty much the words I used. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. I get that. Let's, yeah, let's do it. And I was, I was like, whoa, trying to see what else I could get away with. <laughs> I think we should paint the living room this color. She's like, don't push your fucking luck. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and... and so, I mean, what's really funny, we went for that 20-week one. And um, so we had said to the sonographer, we were like, we don't want to know the sex. And she was like, right, cool. And they're obviously looking, because they're having to do all the measurements of, like, thigh bones, back bones, whatever, you know, all that all that stuff. And and um, neither of us said anything at the time. And we both came out and we were like, were you looking to try and see? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> then so was she but thankfully we both and you know they're really skilled at what they're doing and because i think for example when there are boys it can be quite obvious if you yeah. go past the weenie yeah and yeah. um so thankfully that she she managed to skip past that bit but anyway like these and, and then there's the 24 week period where it's like um that's where if you have any issues before 24 weeks i think that the health service kind of like won't uh yeah, i don't know what the words are i have to be quite sensitive yeah. here because i, I they but, won't resusc- resuscitate yeah or like yeah it's, it's it's they have to be they will they must be like self um be able to keep themselves alive if they were yeah. born yeah so i think 24 I weeks and onwards they then will put them into intensive care etc mm. but so i had all these milestones like 12 16 20 24 and I was always just panicking and trying to get to that milestone and then getting there and feeling a massive sense of relief. And then I remember getting to 24 and that was like the big one. Like, yeah. So I remember what my wife telling me about that kind of with, with um, you know, with, with the, the, the unborn children, like that massive marker and milestone. Then I got there. I remember texting a work colleague saying, oh, I've just had the 24 week scan. It's all good. And he was like, brilliant, only a, a week and a half to go. And I was like, until the, and I was like, what? And there's some other kind of milestone, about 26 and a half weeks or something, I don't know. But all that did then was just give me another 10 days of extreme anxiety. Another, another two-week wait. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, it was. And and then I remember my missus saying, oh, with twins, you need, like, it's really important that you get to, I think it was 30 weeks hmm. because of, like, the, the development that they need. So then I'm like really pushing on and you know, this is right up towards the end, but it's every time there seemed to be the goalposts were being moved with what mm. I needed to psychologically relax. And I think that is probably really common with people that are, have had fertility treatment because especially when you've had setbacks along the way, I mean, not to mention the fact that just having fertility issues is life changing yeah. anyway. I think it's probably really prevalent, prevalent because you are so hypersensitive to the fact that 
things could go wrong. And yeah. fuck me, I I was I really struggled. I, mm. I I can't even like like deny it. I I was a nervous wreck all the time. I wanted to wrap Jenna in cotton wool, not let her out. Not to mention, like I said, it was COVID times, like proper first lockdown. And uh, as the media do, they like to push the really sensationalist stories, the things that keep us in in some perpetual state of fear. Yeah. yeah. And and then there were the first kind of COVID births and all these stories of pregnant women because obviously that the pregnancy pushes up on your diaphragm and help restricts breathing. And then obviously like it was early days of COVID. So they're talking about uh, the breathing problems. And, and if you go into hospital, you have to be face down while pregnant women can't do that. And, and all this, and I was just absolutely shitting myself the whole time. Absolutely. The key to getting ahead of the game with your fertility is to understand where you're starting from. The earlier you test, the better you can plan for the future or take immediate action now. As we and others have experienced, waiting to get tests by the doctor can take a long time. Exceeds at home sperm tests make it easy to get an indication of your sperm health without jumping through all the hoops of testing on the NHS or pay the large fees at private clinics. You don't even have to send a sample through the post. By harnessing your phone's camera with an XE device, you can record a video of your semen for the app to analyze. And just because you do your XE test outside the clinic, it doesn't mean you're left to fend for yourself. Exceed have medical professionals only a message away that can answer any questions that you have about your result make suggestions on how to improve your sperm quality or how to point you in the right direction for your next options. This can also be conducted via a free video consultation to discuss with their team face-to-face. -face. The app will also show you recommendations of anything you can do to improve your sperm quality. You'll get a tailored improvement plan to try and increase your motile sperm count. Testing again over time can help track your changes, improvements or areas that need more focus. As a listener of this podcast, you can get 15% off Exceed products at exceedhealth.com. Just use the code MFP15, that's MFP15, at the checkout. So whether you're trying for children right now or thinking about it for the future, head to exceedhealth.com to read more about the at-home sperm test. It was, um, I mean, you take the pregnancy out of it, it was a stressful time for everyone wouldn't it and then you put a pregnancy that you've waited so long for um you know i don't you know i'm not surprised you're anxious man i mean it, it, it's really tough at, at the quietest time shall we say i mean through one to like when during that first trimester for seb like when we went for that seven week scan uh we had twins on board and they, there was two heart rates um heartbeats um and then we when we went back for the 12 week uh only there was two twins uh but only one heartbeat which was which was seb um and it was it was the f obviously i i was anxious like it wasn't going gonna lie about that but i suddenly realized how vulnerable this little embryo that that was left was you know and they were really good the nurses there like they realized what had happened 
it was the first time as well because they knew um like our background in terms of it was male factor and things like that we they uh they really took us under their wings and they really looked after me uh, mm. as well as Jen which was amazing um at that moment in time I was obviously like very much like oh, I want my wife looked after and um but I felt it um and I've talked about how you know miscarriages have affected me right? mm. I, it's something that's not very talked about much as a man and it's something I definitely want to cover in more detail at some point yeah um but yeah it was it made everything really really fragile uh, yeah and kind of ramped it up uh and we kind of we were we were lucky from then on really like everything went as it should do but you can't hide away from all that anxiety <laughs> like yeah. every day you get up i was texting constantly texting jen when she was at home mm. you're right how's things any any issues um and then when we uh, fell pregnant with Enya um, after more treatment it was uh, Jen had a lot more different symptoms so she she mm. bled a lot during that first trimester and that brought a completely different level of anxiety because yeah, you're kind of told that um, you know heavy bleeding's bad and mm. you know this is what you want to avoid um, but at the same time it's quite a common thing yeah. <laughs> you know so what, what is it is it something i should fear or is it something that's common uh, and i i remember jen would be up late one night with enya um in that first trimester um trying to get an appointment to go down to the hospital to have a scans uh, but no one was answering mm. uh, and we were terrified like terrified we literally had to wait all night until all that till it opened and we could go down and get a scan and we had a scan and it, everything was fine and what we found was that Jen for some reason she bled a lot while whole, you yeah. know while pregnant with Enya um, and midway through that second trimester it kind of toned down and stopped yeah but we didn't know why um, but it was fucking ang- I was just fucking anxious man all the time yeah. Um I remember um, we had we had three late night trips to the hospital because mm. of Jenna feeling reduced movement. And, and I must oh, say, yeah. like, even though this was COVID times, that they that they were brilliant in maternity ward because you would phone up. We had like this number in that like information pack they give you, and yeah, every yeah. time they ne- they never dismissed us to say no, don't worry about it. It's completely normal. They said every time come in, yeah, because not only did we have twins, which obviously then it's kind of hard to decipher which one might be which, but also um, both placentas were at the front, um, which means that you're going to feel them less. Mm. So I remember them really well each time, always late nights, never in the bloody day. It's not that there was much open, no. (laughs) And I I wasn't allowed in the hospital on any of them. And quite often she would be in there for hours. Mm. And I remember just, I couldn't concentrate. It's not like I could be like, oh, I'll take my laptop to a bit of work or... Because you, you just can't. I remember each time just having talk sport on and just listening to the nonsense of late night talk sport of like them not really having anything to talk about because there was nothing on either. Yeah, yeah. There was no 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 football on or whatever. So they they're just kind of trying to make up content to fill their shows. And <laughs> I remember texting a mate uh, one night when I was there, 
and I was like, I just, I said, I, I, I just can't wait for this pregnancy to be over and to have them in my arms, something tangible to look at and feed, give me feedback, like try and help them. Like be like, oh, okay, are you hungry? Are you tired? Yeah. Are you, do you need burping? Because I hated that thing of not being able to, to help and, and to feeling so clueless and helpless and my wife's in the hospital and and just it's the great unknown and I really really struggled and like what what was also really hard throughout the pregnancy for me as, as a donor recipient father and I don't know if well at first I, I didn't know if it was kind of like normal feelings but like when they first started you know the first few times they kick and stuff it is is really magical you know it's like it's different and and it's what you've longed for and waited for mm. but then there was a few times where well a few like loads of times where jenna would be like on a different sofa all spread out and be like oh they're kicking come over and i and i, I just couldn't be asked like yeah. I, I was just like oh god and then and then my subconscious mind kicks in oh is that because then they're donor conceived is it because they're, they're, they're not biologically yours like you don't feel that connection to go over yeah and actually what i've now, uh, having spoken to, to loads of mates who have had their own biological children, that's completely normal for men. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is. It's very... <laughs> we, we don't have that kind of... that bond that the women are getting because obviously they are growing them. They are developing... They're, they're sharing all that mitochondrial mitochondrial fluid. I think that's the that's word. That's the one. Um, they are... like The, the hormones are there. The... the they are developing serotonin and oxytocin and dopamine and which then is a crescendo at birth to keep them kind of like, cause it's shit, you know, painful. Like they like, they like, they like to tell us all the time, but um, <laughs> it's, you know, you wouldn't go back and do it a second time without those cascading waterfall of, of hormones, which give you love and, and, and endorphins as well, you know, like the, to, to stop the pain as much. Uh, but we don't we're not getting that we're, we're having to find our connection in other ways and mm. but as a, a donor recipient father i was questioning myself massively going well is this because they're not biologically mine am i uh, are they going to be born and i just won't be fussed about it i won't uh like feel a bond and again very common for men mm. Like even men who haven't been through fertility struggles, who and it's their natural biological children, very common. And having not had people to speak about this with at the time because of lockdown and stuff, and yeah, of course I could have text mates, but probably it's that fear factor of then getting the text back saying, "No, I was well involved. I was, I loved it every minute of it." Type <laughs> thing. Thinking, "Fuck, no, it's definitely me." So yeah, I just yeah, I, I struggled throughout and. Thankfully, that all changed when they were born, and and I know it sounds cheesy, but um, it's so again I, I've I've heard from like experts since I think I heard it on another podcast where it was saying like often with men it's not as cheesy as like oh love at first sight or whatever you have to earn that bond and you do that by just like you know that's why they want men to do skin to skin straight away so it is that immediate uh, kind of contact and and they they match your heart rate and they they smell your 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 scent and 
but I think also it comes from other things like feeding, nappy changing, baby massage and stuff. But actually in our situation, which I'm I'm pretty sure I probably would have talked about in in like my story on episode one was that we had a really difficult birth and Jenna needed free blood transfusions. Yeah, and yeah. As it happens, for the first thirty six hours I was in the chair, like completely yeah. she couldn't do anything. She was too weak. She was very, very, very poorly. And that baptism of fire was actually amazing for me because uh like I just I had to step up. I hadn't there was no absolutely no question mark about it. I couldn't of course all the midwives are there and they were brilliant and they kept me very well fed and, and I couldn't speak hardly enough of them but they they were really good at guiding me along, but I still try to take the lead each time. And yeah. you've got two little things that are just crying constantly. And I'm like, I think, yeah, I was up for that 36 hours, like without sleep. And that was great for me. And it allowed me to immediately form that bond with them. And I remember like when we first got home after being discharged, probably four days or something after. And um and I think it wasn't even then that Jenna could change nappies and stuff because I she was again really weak from the cesarean and I had to like take the babies to her for feeding and Yeah yeah. And then by the time it came to her then doing the first nappies, I was like, I'll show you. I got this. <laughs> and it was great. It, it really was and, and I think that um it was very un- unfortunate circumstances, but it was brilliant for me to get that immediate bond. Yeah. And do you know what you've said um, about that, you know, baby kicking and not showing or, or that moment in time, not really being too worried or showing too much interest. It, um, I had exactly the same thing. Um, and those thoughts ran through my brain of, is this because of what I've been through? Is this because of what happened to me as a kid? You know, all those kind of things. Um, it became more evident for me uh, once they'd been born like I was there I wanted to be there all the time but there were moments in time when I was like no oh, this is my time like almost like I just switched to if yeah, I want to go out and see or go to the gym you know I want to this is what I want to do I don't want to do that right now um, and I do think it's because deep in us in my DNA, uh, in my, you know, deep in my reptilian brain, there's still that big part of us as men. And we've talked about this, what a man, what a man is, but I think still think it's in my core. Uh, my job is to protect my children and protect mm. my wife. And if something had happened, then I would have acted like, this is my job. What, no, this doesn't happen. I'm not there. I wasn't there all the time to, um, to to do the the things that mums do that maternal instinct we don't have it <laughs> yeah you know uh and i think it's completely fine for men to to realize that that but, but i think on that point it's i think it has been shown that like scientifically that women don't necessarily know best like mother that mm. like we so i think we do have to acknowledge to trust our instincts and be a bit more forceful with if if you really feel something, oh yeah, that something is or isn't right, to be a bit more assertive with that because that that helped me hearing that from. I can't remember if it was in a book I read, 
because I've read a few like parenting books before like, when they were on the way and but I listened to a lot of podcasts so I can't remember where I picked it up but that was quite key for me to listen to yeah because I think had I not listened to that I would have definitely been like oh maternal instinct but actually it's important to acknowledge like, like, let me put it uh let me make a joke out of it almost I'll give you a real life example but um we had a sleep consultant about a year ago and um because yeah we've just been going for a particularly bad phase it's particularly like more so with evelyn and essentially um so that when you start the, the consultation they ask what you've been doing how you've been doing it and so we run through and it was always like jenna would be like oh yeah i, I do this i suggest this sean does this says this sleep consultant basically said everything that i was saying was what we should be doing and yeah. this is someone professional so obviously jenna loved that <laughs> but it shows that and, and i hadn't like researched it i hadn't read about it i hadn't done anything it just is what felt was right, right. yeah and and it was right it's what this expert is telling us to do and so i yeah almost a year ago i still haven't really let her live that down but it's just I, you know sorry to interrupt but i think no, it no. is important that fathers do trust their instincts as well yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But I think it's important for them to know as well that if they do get those feelings, like we've just described, there's nothing wrong. It's it's a natural thing, and um, it, it, it's okay. It's all yeah. right to kind of yeah. uh, feel that way. Not all the time, though. <laughs> no. But I, and I think also you you said something which I completely resonated with was. Um, I really struggled when they were born because it's life changing from mm. that the day they're in in baby in arms it's life changing and I really struggled to let go of because how old was I I would have been like thirty seven so I've had kind of well let's say from teenage years so I've had maybe twenty five years of me, me making my own decisions almost and being my own person you know to a degree you know I was in a marriage et cetera et cetera. But I really struggled to then deal with the fact that they you, you have got some little things here that are 100% dependent on you. Yeah. And and I'll be like, I just want to go for a run. And Jenny will be like, well, no, we've got fucking eight bottles to wash and sterilize yeah. and, and, and all this washing to do. And I'll be like, but I want to go for a run. Like, this yeah. is for me. And suddenly getting to grips that I'm now the least important person in this house, you know, and I'm downplaying that to a degree, but it's, it's, I, it's finding balance. I found really 100%. hard at first. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's uh, even, and that's why I, I, you know, right at the beginning of this podcast, I talked about our personal growth. Hmm. Um, and I think as a man, sometimes like, I mean, you've just described it. We can be quite selfish. Right. Mm. I think it's like, well, I want to do this. But when they, I distinctly remember, and I, well, we had to go into theatre for Seb to be born. And he was born with forceps because he was basically being a bit troublesome coming out. So there's a picture of me. Funnily enough, we were, I was going through the computer a couple of days ago and I found it. And there's a picture of me fucking about before I go into theatre, taking pictures and messing about. <laughs> And um, I walked in and little did I know that walking through those doors within 10 minutes, my life would change forever. And it literally does. So 
they brought Seb out, they put him, put him onto Jen's chest, and then Jen was having quite a lot of bleeding, so they had to kind of sort her out, and they took him and put him like in a little incubator, they mm. sorted him out, obviously, and then put him there, and I went up to him, and I remember just looking at him, thinking, you're here? Mm. Like, all that fucking around that I've been doing my whole life, like, disappeared. Like, it mm. was like, you're here. You are the most important thing in my life. You know? And it, I had to learn a lot about myself in terms of, I couldn't just do what I wanted. Yeah. I, I had this response, this, this little child was dependent on me. Dependent on me for everything, not just physically, but everything it's going to learn, everything it's ever going to believe, anything or initially going to believe, its experiences in life, its experiences of what a father should be like, yeah, are going to come from me. And it was like, um, you know, the Big Bang Theory when they kind of always when that big at the beginning where it's all like I never watched going, it, mate. Oh, haven't you? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the start it starts off with like zooming around the planets, right? And that's what it felt like. It just felt like everything could come to a point in my universe. And this point was, was said. Yeah. Um, but if you'd said to me 15 minutes before, you're going to feel like that in 15 minutes. Yeah. I was feeling like, no, but I remember like my little finger putting it on his hands. He took control of it. And I knew that I'd, that I would see harm to me before I ever saw harm to him. You know, oh, it was absolutely. that kind of, yeah. And I, I said to him, Generally said to him out loud, every decision I make for you is going to be done basically for your best interests. It might not always be the right one, but I'll try my best. Yeah. And it's because that's all I ever wanted my own dad to do and things like that. But I just had to say it to him mm. and it just changes your life. Yeah. Uh, and then I let, he went up to um, the, the unit because he was four, born four weeks early little little troublesome turned up four weeks yeah. early so he had to go onto a special ward and I, I made sure Jen was all right and the hardest thing was leaving that ward that night because everything I had ever wanted was in that hospital yeah and I just went home in a daze and I sat down but then I forgot a beer out mm. <laughs> and uh, I didn't even drink it I fell asleep woke up in the morning went straight back to the hospital like it was literally like boom out. All oh, right, I've got something else to do. But again, back to that original thing you said, yeah, you have to kind of realize where everything fits into this now puzzle that has, you know your life has become with another little baby. It's like or with a baby, it's a bit of the puzzle that you've always wanted. So you've got to look after it. You know, it's um, yeah. it's it's a wonderful thing, uh, but it is. It's, it's the best job, but the hardest job in the world. Oh, yeah. To do it right. Yeah. It's like, you know, the reason there are no books on it, you know, there are books that may try and say how what you do. And actually, there, there was one that particularly helped us through the early stages, like kind of what to expect. But there's no books that are like world bestsellers in parenting. And it's like the one. Because everyone is different. Every child is different. It's all very subjective. Every set of parents is different. But all you can do is do the, put it all out there and do the best you can. And yeah. I think what I've learned is that 
they they aren't listening to what you tell them to do they are watching you and learning yeah. from you all the time yeah. and that is that is highlighted so much with stuff that they do and they they're watching us how we deal with other people how we react how we deal with our emotions how we how me and Jenna interact together and and they they're watching you of, of like okay what do i need to do to be a, a human and 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 it's this is our chance to to like write history because their future is our now and they are absorbing all the time so it's about like and it you know some sometimes it has to be conscious that you're thinking right they could you know they're learning here but it's mostly it's subconscious it's who you are it's already who we are as people anyway and like but that's echoed from from our friends and family who always comment on just how happy our children are and they say yeah. like you that they are such content happy children and and so you know we're doing something right which is is great it's great feedback and it's, it's in trying to instill positive habits in them now and trying to let them grow to be happy, healthy, resilient kids. And, and like, you know, we're all learning on the job. And like I said, that's why there's no bestseller because it, it's all different. But like, it's the most enjoyable but hardest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, those all-nighters those when they're unwell you know all those things that are tough at the time yeah what i've realized is the human brain is very fickle and you quickly forget them yeah they're worth they're worth just going through it all but again i think that's probably a a little bit of our evolution as to why people go back and do it again yeah yeah because it's it's fucking hard like you know like like pregnancy for, for women is, is very painful but early years is bloody hard but people go back and do it again yeah whether it's natural or through fertility treatment you do it and you know you, just, you think especially when it comes through fertility treatment because you know you put yourself through all that those hardships again mm. all those injections but you do it because i think the brain has erased a lot of the hardship <laughs> and said okay let's do that oh that would be fun let's do that again <laughs> Well, it um it erases it until it happens again. You go, oh fuck! Yeah, go, I oh this. yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like people who are who have younger kids now, and they say stuff that they, they're experiencing, and you go, oh god, yeah, I forgot about that. And that's what I say to them. What do you know? What the best bit of parenting advice I got from one of my best mates was, uh, essentially, he said, don't listen to any advice that anyone gives you. <laughs> Yeah, and that it's, is a great bit of advice. Good advice. <laughs> you know? The second best bit of advice I got was, uh, "Wine is good," but no, no, it's not. It's that it was that whatever is your current like hardest thing, your biggest worry right now, like where you know for, whether it's say colic or reflux or something, is one day you'll just forget about it. Yeah, and and you do get through it. So you have these phases, and and yeah. Like it gets, it's bloody hard in some respects, but then that passes and it just becomes hard in a different respect. Yeah. So you just, you have all these like kind of series of issues and worries 
but then also like so so many 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 happy times my um the best bit of advice i ever got was from my mum actually and she i rang her up and i was like oh we had a really rough night with Sarah, but you must have only been like a couple of weeks old because jen had some health issues as well so we all had to like i was up like two nights in a row and hanging and all kinds of things while caring for her and caring for her. and I just remember talking to her, my mum, and she went, Kieran, she goes, you can't rush a baby. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you just have to sit it out. Like, hmm. you can't rush a baby. You you know, the calmer you are, they'll pick up on it. If you, yeah. and, and it was one bit of advice that stuck in my brain. Yeah. Uh, and it's true. And I implemented the same thought process with Enya and it made it a lot easier. When those, yeah. you know, those late, late nights or not even nights, like you don't get to sleep. You just go <laughs> through the night. Yeah. And um, it was a case of, right, this is happening now, but it won't be happening tomorrow probably. So I can get yeah. my sleep then. She needs me now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really powerful bit of advice that. But, uh, it's, it's all about presence and knowing like you said it it's hard but they need you and like you getting antsy and wound up is not going to change the situation That's, and and well it, it will for the worst it's like you know you, you keep calm you keep that steady heart rate and like I, we live literally like next door to a, a, a graveyard like a church in a graveyard and we moved here like almost two years ago and like when the kids were a year and a half and it's been living there, living next to a graveyard has been a great teacher for me actually. And because mm. we, we, it's a lovely little church, a really beautiful church. And we walk through it all the time because it's the quickest way to get to the shops. And I love, I just love going out for little toddles with the kids. Like just be like, Oh, does someone want to come to the shop with me. And it's old it's an old church and some of the graves there are like two or three hundred years old like yeah, yeah you know crumbling headstones and stuff and i always think if i was able to ask anyone in this graveyard now their advice they would say make the most of this now yeah, yeah. this moment because some of them could have been like multi-millionaires but now like they say you can't spend it when you're dead and all that they could have had this that the other but i guarantee that if a if a dead person if one of those 300 year old skeletons could come out they would say just make the most of this because yeah. i just love it i just love seeing one of my kids or both just toddling along through the path and it's just it's just special moments and and that is what i really try and slow down and enjoy yeah. and, and i really appreciated you uh, i think it was few weeks maybe a few months back maybe a few weeks i think and i, I text you and you took ages to reply which isn't a problem <laughs> but you said oh, i'm really sorry mate. i've been with the kids today and when i'm with them i don't use my phone i re try and remain present and and that is i, I loved it because i was like yeah great i, I do the same and yeah. it's about because the moment you pick up your phone out your pocket when someone else is texting you or emails come through what you're doing is especially if the kids are talking to you at that moment you're essentially saying that device is more important than them. Yeah, yeah. And it's nothing's more important than them. Yeah. There's nothing that's more important than them. It's, um, yeah, live for the moments. Live for those moments. And uh, even when the, even even those tough moments, 
or we've talked about pregnancy and stuff when during those tough moments in pregnancy take in what you can learn from that moment you know because you might be able to learn something and put it on later on in life and you know you're successful you have children you can give them that little bit of advice or a bit of help it's about taking and enjoying every moment even how tough it is because like we both said it's not easy being a you know a parent um mm. but no one no one really prepares you for that one no <laughs> you know, you're okay. you're in a race to get to the end uh, in yeah. terms of I want, I want my baby um but no one actually says just just take it easy you know you yeah know, enjoy these moments because they do grow up um so he often talks about how he wants children and then it will be one day hopefully i'll be a granddad and it's a yeah. it's a completely new phase of life but i don't want to rush this part i'm enjoying it no i've actually um <laughs> i don't want to just talk about death a lot <laughs> But uh, graveyards and stuff. But we we've had in the last two years, Jenna and I have sadly lost all four of our nans. Mm. Probably in less than two years, actually, it might be even be eighteen months. But I've actually, I found it a lot. I, I wouldn't say easier, but well, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe easier. But I've dealt with the deaths of of very close loved ones a lot differently now that we've got the kids. Mm. Like I've had a massive greater appreciation of the circle of life yeah and i've all and and the kids have been at each of the four funerals of our nans and i've all i've had to do is look at them and just be like that's what it's all about Mm. like our nans had great innings and they of course like i could still be like sad and miss them but they would say enjoy this this is what it's all about I, yeah. I I was here to bring you into the world and you're here now to bring them into the world and it's all about that and one day hopefully like you said we'll be grandfathers and and then it'll be us looking down at, at grandchildren going no that's they're the future now like yeah. crack on or great grandchildren and 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 uh, like that's how I parent now is is flipping hell I've just realized it. again now the third third death analogy <laughs> I'm going to be bringing in this one episode but I, I I essentially parent like I'm writing my own eulogy yeah. from the kids and and I always think like what would I want them to say about me at my funeral and it is that I I just love them deeply I am there I was always present if there was something I wanted you know this is in <laughs> in consideration you don't want to raise sport children but it'd be like if, if they want something i'll work my fucking ass off to give it to him um and, and just generally like yeah he, he was there he cared that's yeah. what that's what if i want to be remembered for and so i and i'm writing that history now that that's how i my parent i always think what do i want to be remembered for and this is my chance to be that now yeah i mean it's uh it's a good way to think. It's a good way to like, what, what, what do you want your children to say to you when you're older? Mm. You know, I've learned from my own experience from my dad. I would say things very differently to him in the past than I would now. We have a better relationship now, but um, I want Sebi to know that, or to to know to some most extent 
everything that I would do for him. You know, it's really important. And in you, obviously. Um, but there's that part of me that um, I don't really mind if they never know all the hard work that I do because I just mm. do it because I love them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different, slightly different way of thinking about it. I just do it. <laughs> yeah. but it's that it's that, it's that um, selflessness isn't it and they'll pick yeah. up on that I mean they don't need to know every single little thing that we do for them but they know they know that the love's there and I don't I don't think that that love's any stronger because of what I went through um, to get them um, I think it would have always been the same that's what I'd yeah. like to think I think um, they probably have like a massive deeper sense of gratitude for becoming parents having yeah. had those struggles i think i think the gratitude's there um mm. but i don't i think my my childhood shaped more of why or the type of father i am than the journey that i went on to get them if that makes sense mm. I'm, I'm so grateful to hear because of everything i went through but i try to be the dad that i wish i'd always had well, my dad's great now. He's really good with me and we have a good relationship. But when I was a youngster from, you know, from two to, I don't know, probably into my adult years, that wasn't there, you know? Yeah. So it was, it's a big driver for me that, you know, I don't yeah. want Seb to feel like that. So, or, or Enya. Um, but, you know, we're, we're lucky. We are lucky yeah. and I'm so grateful even though pregnancy is terrifying <laughs> and a yeah. child's birth is one of the most stressful days of your life. <laughs> yeah. It's, I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't change it anything. Mate. No, I no, absolutely. I saw a quote on the internet lately and um, it, it said some, I, I can't remember it off by heart, but it said something along the lines of if you are able to put a child into bed in a warm bed, in a, in a safe house, with a belly full of food, you have won the lottery of life. Yeah. And I, I remember that I read it and I was just like, it's so true. Yeah. Because when you think about, you know, you can easily then find comparisons throughout the world of people that can do that and also desperately want to do that, you know, like what we've been through. Yeah. And, and I, and that the day I read that, I put them to bed that night and I was just like, I have, I have yeah. won the lottery of life to be able to be the, here with them now and put them to bed safe and sound, happy, fully fed and clean is, is, is a gift and it's one that I'll never take for granted. Yeah. Same, I'm going to echo that, mate. 100%. It's, um, it's a gift. It's a gift that we've got. Um, and I think that's probably a good place to kind of wrap it up, isn't it? Like we can't really yeah. go on from there in terms of telling expressing how challenging it was but at the same time how wonderful it was mm. the whole the whole process uh, and one thing I, I, I will just mention before we finish is the fact of when when Seb and Enya were small I remember thinking well, I mean Enya's only three now but each phase of their life I thought I don't want you to grow up I want you to stay like this little bundle of joy this little giggler and I, I feared them getting older. But what I realized is I, I met a new version of them. Mm. And that one was just as good as the last one. 
Yeah. So for me, I, I'm looking forward to meeting every version of Sebi and Enya as they get older. Yeah. Um, and appreciate those moments I have as they're going through those phases, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. No. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah. It's a great way to finish it. Definitely. Um, so let's move on to uh, our next episode. <laughs> the last one. The last wow. one. The last of the series. One. Not ever. No, yeah. no, no. We are here for the long haul. Um, yeah. Of the series, we are bringing the wives in. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be honest now and say uh, we can't can't be responsible for them <laughs> <laughs> yeah might want to turn the volume down a little bit on you however you're listening to your podcast but um no they are um i know we we jokingly said the other day about them being the most important guests we'll ever have when we were talking mm. but it's true i think for me yeah. and you they are the most important people in relation to our fertility treatment and uh our processing of everything that we've been through so i'm looking yeah. forward to getting them on um and having some fun but having some serious discussions as well because yeah what we perceived we were like or what i found is that my perception of things and what i experienced is often different to what jen did so it'd be interesting yeah. to have those those discussions yeah that's the thing they, they could essentially burn out all nine episodes that we've recorded and just say what the fuck that's not what you do you're full of shit but well, anything well, could happen anything anything so um yeah it'd be a good one it will yeah. be a good one so if people want to contact us mate um how can they do that um well they can get us on email which is uh, name it? yeah that's your <laughs> one is, uh, i was like that the male fertility podcast at gmail.com and then there's yeah, Instagram or Insta is the male fertility podcast at the male fertility podcast. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Get in touch. We like, uh, it's, it's really good to hear from people and, um, it's nice that people are listening and it's helping and yeah, please do get in touch. And I guess, yeah, until then, until next week or whenever it was two weeks after today, yeah. Uh, until we can get them pinned down to actually record with us. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I thought I was busy. Flipping out. <laughs> but my wife has a very busy uh, social life where um, I just have, seem to work and put children to bed some nights. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way, though. No, I'm enjoying no. these moments, as we've just said. Anyway, mate, we'll speak soon. Yes, absolutely. See you later. Have a good one. Bye. Cheers.